You have your Bibles. Open to the book, Gospel of what? Mark, chapter 2. In a few minutes, we're going to read chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. But let me just set the, set the uh, scene for you first. What you're going to find here is the story of Jesus calling Levi. Who's Levi? Another the name we know him by. Matthew, the author of the book of Matthew, one of the twelve disciples. He's going to call Levi um, to follow him. It's going to be very similar to what we saw in just a few weeks ago when we looked at when God called Simon and Andrew and James and John. He's just kind of going by the way, and then he says to specific people, come and follow me. And they, because of his authority, remember that we talked about that a couple weeks ago, because of his authority, they just listen and obey. And so we're going to come to that story today. And, and this is what I want us to do as we walk through this today. Remember, we have an objective here. This is our objective in the Gospel of Mark. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark on a journey with Jesus. With the objective, as we journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark, to see the things that him and the disciples saw, to experience what they experienced, to be amazed by what Jesus said, to actually be confused and angry at times by what Jesus said. That's what always happened when he talked. People just didn't sit around and go, oh, this guy's pretty cool. Sometimes it said he said things that were so radical, everybody left him. And he'd look at just his 12, Matthew being one of them, and say, say, are you going to leave too? Remember Peter answered one time. He said, where would we go? You have the answers of life. You know? And so Jesus does all these, these radical things and all these wonderful and sometimes bizarre encounters as he walks around. And what we're trying to do through the Gospel of Mark is walk into those scenes and experience what he's experiencing. Experience what they saw, see what they saw, and then, with the outcome, desire of being changed as they were changed. Because remember, they walked with him for three years, and what did they do after that? He went up to heaven, sent a spirit, so he said he was still with them in a different way, and they turned the world upside down. I think I've asked you this before. Anybody else think the world needs to be turned upside down? Oh, I should have said, turned right side up. Is that a better way of saying it? It's upside down right now. God wants it to be turned right side up. And he does that as we become different and challenged as we walk with him. And so that's what we're trying to do through the Gospel of Mark. So chapter 2, starting in verse 13. It says, And he went out, and he's Jesus, he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And again, the exclamation point. He's, it's, it's, he's telling him, follow me. And he got up and he followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house. So this is after he calls him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, Jesus in Matthew's house. And many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them and they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, I like the way the story that we're going to walk through today starts out. Jesus goes out to the seashore... Look at the word that's in there. Again. He goes out to the seashore again. You know, I can't help but like Jesus when I look at what he does. 
He's not cooped up in a temple somewhere as, as we would normally do with great religious leaders. He's not cooped up in some ivory tower writing books. He's out at the lake shore rubbing shoulders with people. And he's interacting with the very, very real world. Sometimes we walk with Jesus for a while. We only rub shoulders with a very closed world. But Jesus is out, in the, out by the seashore again where everybody is. That's where commerce was taking place. It's where the fishermen were catching fish and the sellers of fish were selling it and other people had booths set up doing all commerce for the community. And, and he's out there again in the middle of the commerce interacting with the world. He was there teaching the crowds, it said. And I'd like to think, this is me, this is the Mark, the Mark version. I can't prove this by the original text. Matter of fact, there's no way it's even remotely the original text. But as he's by the seashore again, teaching the crowds, he also had a fishing rod in the bushes. <laughs> right? Yes. I, I, think he, I think he did. Yeah, good. Not, nah, you know, I, I'm hoping so. That's his asterisk in the Mark translation says that. The story says, all the people were coming to him. Crowds were gathering around Jesus. He's by the seashore again. Doesn't have to do what he had to do last time by the seashore where he actually said to, to Peter, give me your boat and go out a little further because there's so many crowds, they're pushing me in the water. But it says he's by the seashore again and there's crowds gathering around him. And what we see from the, from the story is that many people, crowds, were interested in what he taught and what he did. And you just think about it practically, why wouldn't they be? He's been going around turning water into wine. He's been going around casting out evil spirits out of people, walking into the temples and doing that. He's been going around healing sick people when they rip the roofs off the houses he's teaching in, lower them down. He forgives their sins. He heals them. He's amazing the crowds. You know, I'd want to listen to him too. We see crowds gathering around him. He's by the seashore teaching. But there's an interesting observation, and this is the way I hope you read Scripture. You read it, and you reread it, and then you read it again, and you try to really see the nuances of the story, because there's an interesting observation about this story as these crowds are gathering around, and it's this, that not everyone was interested in what was going on with Jesus. That not everybody really seemed to care. Because Jesus is walking by the seashore, and he sees a guy named Levi, and Levi is just sitting at his job at his tax collection booth, and he's not following after Jesus. He's not walking around with him trying to, trying to figure out what he has to say. He's sitting there doing his job. He wasn't interested in Jesus. But the story shows us something else. It shows that, oh, he wasn't interested in Jesus, that Jesus was interested in him. Jesus calls his name. That event, friends, had to be shocking to Levi. It had to be shocking to the crowd around Levi because it makes a definition of Levi that's, that's really important. There's a reason why scripture includes it. It says that he was a tax collector. He's the guy who sat in a booth and collected taxes from people. Now, you and I might not like the IRS very much. Might not like paying taxes all that much. You know, if I made a list of the top ten things that I enjoy doing... Paying taxes wouldn't be on my list. Probably if you have any of yours. If if I'm reading a newspaper under the under the personal ads, I don't think I'll ever see middle-aged man, professional, looking for woman of same age to enjoy wonderful things together, like walking down the beach, reading romantic books, and filling out ten forty forms together. 
so we can pay the taxes to Uncle Sam. I don't think we really enjoy the IRS all that much. But understand something, friends. People at that time absolutely hated, hated tax collectors. Because in Jesus' day, tax collectors were considered traitors against their country. They were considered traitors. They collected taxes for Rome. Rome, remember, in this day and this time, um, in, in, in Jesus' land, um, in the Holy Land, Rome is a conquering hero that has come in and be- dominating the whole world, and they, are, they have come in and they have taken authority and possession of the land, and the people have to pay taxes to them. And so Levi is a guy who collected taxes for Rome, and they hated Rome. And not only did they hate paying taxes, but they understood something about the tax collectors. The tax collectors not only collected taxes for Rome, but they also, in addition, extorted great sums of money for themselves. Because their tax collection went a little different than ours. You see, the Romans sold the right to collect taxes to the person who would pay the most to have the job. They basically bought the job so that they could be a Roman tax collector. And they were free to collect as much money as they could as long as Rome got their assessed amount. So they would say, uh, the tax collector for Port Washington, your assessed amount for this year is $10,000. And so the Levi's of the land would collect their 10000 plus the 100000 for themselves. And they'd give the 10000 and they'd keep the 100 for themselves. So they didn't like this guy very much. Levi was hated by the Jews because he extorted money from them under the protection of the Roman law and under the protection of Roman military might. And so there's not a thing about this guy that they like. But Jesus is walking by the seashore with his fishing pole in the bushes, teaching, crowds around him, and he sees Levi, and he calls to him, and he he demands it, says it as a declarative statement with an exclamation point, you come and follow me. And Levi gets up and follows him. Now, think through this for a second. Why in the world would Jesus do that? Especially since he had all of these interested people around him. All of these, it says crowds. They're up against the seashore. They're pushing him against the seashore. All these interested people who want to learn from him and they want to follow him. And they're asking him questions and he's teaching them. And there's probably great interaction going on. And he's interacting with this huge crowd and he's teaching them eternal truth. And he looks at a guy who's disinterested and he says to that guy over there, come follow me. Why would he do that? I think there's two reasons. The first reason is the most simple reason. It's simply this, is because Jesus knows that Levi is spiritually lost. He knows it. He knows he's spiritually lost because Levi had not only forsaken his people when he became a tax collector, but in doing that he had forsaken the God of his people. And Jesus knew he needed a savior. And that's why Jesus always goes after people. But I think there's another reason why Jesus called to him. And here's one I want you to pay attention to today, if you know the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, understand He's calling your name just like He did to Levi today. If you've not met Christ, He's calling you today. But the other reason He called Levi is that because He calls him because He sees something great in him. He sees him at the tax collector's office. He's, he's a buzz of people around him. 
he looks through the crowd and he sees Levi. And because he's God and he knows all things, he looks and he sees this man and he sees something great in Levi. Jesus sees beyond Levi's past and his present and he sees what his future can become. Everyone else, when they looked at Levi, they saw a rotten traitor. Somebody who sold out to Rome. But Jesus sees a mighty man of God and a powerful church leader. And history shows us through the Bible and just through natural history shows us that that's exactly what Levi became. He becomes one of Jesus' closest twelve. He becomes the author of the book of Matthew. And he becomes a powerhouse in the early church. You see, Jesus sees beyond the exterior and he sees what someone can become. And this is what we need to learn about this as we're walking through the story with Jesus today. It's this, that Jesus is still doing that same thing today. That's what he does in every single one of you in this room today. He sees what you can become, not what you are today. He sees potential in you and he sees potential in me that we don't even believe is possible about ourselves. If you would have interviewed Levi and said, you know what, Jesus sees a great church leader, an author of a gospel that will be read by billions of people through thousands of years, he would have said, you're nuts. But Jesus sees what we can be. He sees things that we don't even believe are possible. Well, you need to understand something today, friend. God has incredible plans for every person who responds to his call to come. If you've heard his call to come, it didn't have to be at a seashore. It could have been in a, a church pew. It could have been watching Billy Graham on TV. It could have been listening to a friend over a cup of coffee. But if you heard his voice say, Come, by the power of the Holy Spirit, then understand he's got an incredible plan for you that's so much bigger than any little plan that you can contrive on your own. What does God have in store for you? As you leave your plans, remember Levi had to leave his plan. His plan was to sit in the tax booth. But as he left his plan, Jesus said, Come, and he came. He came away from that. What does God have in store for you as you leave your plans behind and follow after Him? I don't know what it is individually for each of you, but I do know this. It's great, and it's beyond your own plan, even if your own plan is something you've been developing for 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years. If I could do something somehow, I would do this. If I could somehow grab every single one of us in that place and shake you and say, listen... I want you to be open. I want you to open up your heart to what God wants to do in you and what God wants to do through you. Let go of the smallness of human logic. Let go of the smallness of human expectations that other people put upon you and say, that's what you're designed for. Let go of the smallness of it and grab on to God's dream for your life. Grab on to something that's bigger than the smallness of your own dream or the dreams of the world. That's what Levi did. You know, he thought that being a rich businessman was the ultimate. You say, well, how do you know that? He had to believe that because he had literally sold his soul to get there. He had turned his back on his countrymen and he had turned his back on the God of his country, on Yahweh. He turned his back on the one real God so that he could sit in the tax booth and extort money from people who were his, his relatives. But friends, Jesus had something greater in mind for him. Greater than money, greater than power. As he followed Jesus, he literally became one of history's most well-known people. 
One of the most read people in all of history is Matthew. When you open up a Bible, the Bible is the most produced book in the history of the world. You know that? No other book comes close. It's in almost every language, on every continent, everywhere in the world. And most people, when they open the Bible, they open up to the New Testament. Because that's what we say, we start there. And they come to the book of Matthew. And they read what he has to say. His life has literally influenced billions of people for thousands of years. Because he listened to Jesus' call to come. And gave up what he had conceived as the most important thing. Being the rich businessman. He said, I'm willing to give up everything for it. He did. But Jesus said, I want you to give up that. To get this. And look what he got. Surely, who he became is greater than being a tax collector for the, for the Romans. Friends... We need to let go of our little conceptions and allow God to take us beyond our plans. Amen? We need to do that. Let's move on because we learn more things. That's one thing they learned as they're walking through this journey with Jesus. But they learn more. This is important. What was the very first thing? So we're walking through the story. The very first thing that Matthew did, that Levi did after Jesus called him? very first thing. It says he, he followed him, and then it talks about him being at his house. Right? There's a time gap in there. It's obvious because they're by the seashore one minute, and they're at his house the next. So there's a time gap in there. We don't know how long. Maybe a couple hours. First thing Levi does after starting being called to follow Jesus is he throws a party. You know what? That's what sinners are good at. They're way better at it than the church. He throws a party. He throws a party, but he throws a party with a purpose. He threw a party in order to introduce his friends to Jesus. Look who was invited. We see that at this party, at his house, Jesus and his disciples, he didn't know them before that morning. He invites Jesus and his disciples to come to this party. They were his guests of honor. But beyond being his guests of honor, you know what they were? They were his new family. They were his new family. That's one of the blessings of coming to Christ. You get a big new family. Diana, isn't that right? We've talked about it. You get a brand new big family you never knew you had before. Suddenly you're a stranger one day. The next day they're calling you brother, calling you sister. If you're anywhere near John, he's hugging you like grizzly bear, you know. <laughs> and that's what I love. Um, and he's, he's hugging you. You know what he did this morning? You know, can I, John every Sunday morning goes and prays at Open Door. We talked about it and he said he wanted to do that. He prays at Open Door Church every morning for their church. This morning he finally got to meet the senior pastor. People always look at him. I've told the senior pastor he's there doing it. And he walked up to him this morning and the guy he kind, of, kind of, what are you doing here? And he told him and he said, oh, that's who you are. And he put his hand out and he says, oh, I don't want a handshake. I'm a hugger. You know what? You know why? Because he was your brother. You'd never even met him before. But he's your brother. He got this brand new family. So he invites this brand new family. He invites other people to meet his brand new family. That's the first people we see at the party. But the other people we see at the party are his friends. He invites all the other people. Look what it says. It says other tax collectors, so other traders, and sinners. And some of you read a translation that calls it this. It says other notorious sinners. It's an attempt to try to really get what the meaning of the words are there. To say they're just not rank and file sinners. These are, these are notorious sinners. Now, I think people used to call me a sinner, but I don't think I was ever a notorious sinner. And uh, he calls the notorious sinners together. You know what? He invites the mafia. 
He invites the hell's angels. He invites the geeks and the freaks, the goths, all the people in society that no one else wants to be around. He says, come out of my house for a party. He invites all those people, that nice people, you know, nice people, everybody like this, nice people. (laughs) Nice people, some of you have a hard time doing that. Can you do that? Nice people, there we go. That nice people try to avoid. Can I give you a key to genuine Christian living the way God wants us to live from this story? It's this. Levi did not abandon his friends and his family if he had any family left once he had come to follow Jesus. Rather, he wanted his friends, his other notorious sinner friends, to meet Jesus so that Jesus could change their lives also. That's why he threw a party. Friends, that's God's plan for each and every one of us. He saves us by His grace so that He can walk, work through us to bring our friends and our family into saving relationship with God. What's the banner say? Each one reach one. That's what it's all about. Remember what we said? Remember why the, remember why the H is a fish hook? That's not a devil tail, remember? It's a fish hook. Remember why? Because you're God's hook in the ponds that he's placed you in. You're God's hook in the ponds that he's placed you in so that you can still influence the people that have always been connected to you and bring them, into the, bring them to Jesus. We must not abandon our family and friends for our new church family. We must introduce our family and our friends to our Christian family so that they can experience the reality of Christ in our loving church family. He wanted them to meet the fact that these guys interacted different than anybody else in the world. This loving church family, that's what Levi did. And I want you to think about something incredibly seriously with me for a moment. Track with me for a moment if I lost you somewhere. Did you realize that when you came to church today and you hugged somebody, you went out of your way to say hi to somebody, You didn't just sit with the same three people you normally sat with, but minimum you invited somebody else to come and sit with you and eat a donut or a cup of coffee. That when you took a meal to a struggling person from the church because you heard they're having problems and they were sick or something. Or when you volunteered to sit in the nursery with some kids, even though you said, "Uh, you know what, I'm I'm, I'm too old for the kids stuff. Or I'm too young for the kids stuff. Or I'm tired of kids because I have a bunch of them. When you volunteer to sit with kids in the nursery or work in children's church or do rangers or missionettes or anything else, that you are creating, and hear this in all seriousness, you are creating an atmosphere for someone to bring their notorious sinner friend into so that they can experience the reality of Christ's love among us. That's why when you're not here, it hurts. Because it's gutting our ability to create the environment for someone to bring the notorious sinner friends. You say, when I'm not here, what are you talking about? Well, either when you're not here physically, when you're not really checked in emotionally. You came in, you didn't talk to anybody, you sat in your pool, you walked out the door. We're different. We're different. The reason that Levi brought Jesus and his 12, or his, his we don't even know how many, it says his disciples, into his life to meet his friends as he wanted to see something different about them. 
When you come together and you do these things, when we act as a church is supposed to act, we create an atmosphere for someone to bring their notorious sinner friend into so they find out that Jesus is really real. Friends, that's why Scripture is so often exhorts the church to be sure that we really are loving one another. Want to do an interesting study? Look at the word one another in Scripture. Just, just track it through the Bible. All the times we're supposed to love one another. The reason he does that is, yes, we're blessed by it, but he does it for another greater cause. is so that others can see the reality of Christ's love in us. Can you understand how important that is today? That makes sense? Yeah. Now, as Jesus did that that day, as the, him and his disciples went in there to, to influence the notorious sinner friends of Levi. Some sat by and said, you know what? What Jesus and his disciples are doing isn't right. They shouldn't go to such a party. They shouldn't really be in that place. After all, they have a reputation to uphold. He's a religious leader. He shouldn't really go there and do that. You know what Jesus says? He says, not so, my friends. Because Jesus is all about helping people in need. You know, that religious crowd, look at verse 16, that religious crowd sure didn't think that he should be at such an event. Verse 16. It says, When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they said to his disciples, they went out of the way to get his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? What in the world does he think he's doing in that place? Now maybe they thought that they were too good to go to such a place. That's possible. When we come to know the Lord, spiritual pride is a very real weapon of the devil. It's a weapon of the devil. It's a weapon of the devil. Did you hear that? It's not natural. It's a weapon of the devil, spiritual pride, to make us think we're better than other people. We're not. We're just sinners saved by grace. That's it. We're nothing better. So maybe it was just they thought they were too good for such people. Or maybe, and I think this is maybe, maybe more true, because we always slam on these people who are Jesus, who didn't get Jesus, the religious crowd. But I don't think they had bad hearts a lot of times. They just didn't get it. Maybe they genuinely thought that in order to live a holy life, the life that God requires of every single person who follows him, the life that God would expect Levi to live, that in order to live a holy life, that they shouldn't be with such dirty people. Maybe that's what they really thought. But Jesus straightens them out. He says, "Uh uh-uh, look at verse 17. Jesus heard him say that, and he says to them, it's not for those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus says, you know what, friends? He said, I came for the sick. I came for the sinners. I came for the dirty. He says, that's why I came. Jesus went to those who knew they needed help, not to those who thought that they were fine without him. Jesus didn't care what the religious crowd thought. He went to those who were the most needy because no one needed to convince them that they needed to get right with God. They knew it. Church, right here today in Port Washington, in Ozaki County, in Washington County, in in Sheboygan County, Milwaukee County, We need to follow the example of Jesus and reach out to dirty people. Close your eyes with me this morning. Just close your eyes with me this morning. God, 
Open up your hearts. God, who are you laying on our hearts this morning? Open up your hearts. Who are you laying on our hearts this morning? Some may be considered dirty. Some, the religious crowd says, don't waste your time on them. Go to those who are already cleaned up. But God, you want us to reach all men for you, all women for you, all children for you. Holy Spirit, lay upon our hearts. Right now, each individual person, lay upon our hearts dreams and passions to reach people, many of whom the world looks at as too dirty. Friends, look at me. We need to go to them. Even in the dirty places. Now here's the reality. When we go to the dirty places, you know what I mean. We don't participate in the dirt. Jesus went to the dirty places, but he didn't get dirty. Jesus went to the dirty places and he brought people out and he, and he gave them what they needed to get clean. We don't go to the dirty places to participate with them, but to show them that there is something so much better than what they are settling for. That's why we do it. One of the most powerful verses in all the Bible says this. You've been bought with a price. You're not your own. The price is the precious blood of Jesus that said it. And now he takes us. And he purifies us. And he opens up our eyes to see needs. So that he can use us to influence the people around us. So they can come to find what we have also. What do we learn today? What do we take away as we have journeyed with Jesus through the events of that day when he chose Matthew and went to his house for a party? We find out that Jesus sees what sinful people can become. So he rubs shoulders with them with the intention of helping them find health and wholeness in him. And friends, that is surely an example that we should follow. Amen? Would you stand with you this morning?